1982, a new queer film released by a big Hollywood studio garnered mixed reviews from critics and audiences. No, I'm not talking about Personal Best, Corel, or Victor Victoria, all released in the same year. As you can imagine, nearly as soon as its release, this film got slammed aside as the LGBTQ community plunged into the darkness of the AIDS crisis. And subsequent films from Hollywood, and rightfully so, focused on the tragedy of the epidemic. 1982 was a pivotal year for queer film, and if AIDS hadn't happened, this quiet, hopeful film would have been the catalyst for an entirely modern, positive representation of gay and lesbian relationships in Hollywood. In some ways, we're still fighting that battle today. I think it's time to pay homage to this classic film starring three of my favorite television actors from the 70s and 80s. I can't wait to talk about it. Welcome. You're listening to Real Charlie Speaks, an LGBTQ podcast spinoff of the film and television review blog, Real Charlie, looking at movies and TV from a gay male perspective since 2009. I'm your host, Philip Barr. Each month, I select a classic queer film, television series, or creator. I talk about how the subject spoke to me when I first discovered it years ago and how it stood the test of time. Join me now as we begin another episode adventure. Hello, everyone. So did you guess it? Today, we're going to talk about 1982's Making Love, directed by Arthur Hiller and starring Michael Ontkeen, Kate Jackson, and Harry Hamlin. So before we get into the actual film, because I have a lot to say about the film, uh, I just want to I want to share a few of the um, reviews and the reactions um, at the time when the film was first released. So first, I want to take a look at the Rotten Tomatoes because the Rotten Tomatoes um, is uh, is has two different reviews. It has a re- an, an official reviewers review or uh, uh, rating, I should say, and then secondly, it has an audience rating. So there were 20 reviews for Making Love, and most of these reviews obviously came about back in 1982. It has a 45% rating. The audience rating is 57%. Um, So that gives you an idea of what this little film is um, fighting against. And secondly, I'm going to review, I'm going to read the very last paragraph in Roger Ebert's review from back in 1982. Remember, this is 41 years ago. Ebert says, Making Love is essentially a TV docudrama in which the subject is announced loud and clear at the onset and there are no surprises. People have described the movie to me in one sentence. Kate Jackson finds out her husband is a homosexual and they haven't left out much. Wow. I don't even know where to begin with that because I see this film as brilliant. I see it as a film that could have heralded a new age in Hollywood and their depiction of lesbian and gay relationships. Uh, A very modern look at something that was hidden, that was vilified. Uh, We've talked a lot uh, on this podcast about um, how Hollywood treated LGBTQ people, their relationships, um, 
during the first hundred years of cinema or so. Uh, and so I really feel like um, I, I, I really ch- specifically chose this movie today, not not only because I love it, but because I really think it's an important landmark film in LGBTQ history. And I will get into that now. So uh, what I'd like to do now is I'd like to sort of jump into just what the film is about. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the plot. I'm not going to give away the ending, uh, but I am going to give quite a few details on the plot and um, and just talk about that. Because I think that as you start to watch this film, the film sort of starts to... Uh, unfold and um, and you start to see what this movie is really about. So the title of the film is called Making Love. Um, it's not called Hot Sex Film. It's not called uh, Booty Call. It's called Making Love. And the soundtrack, when the soundtrack begins in the very beginning of the film, as the, um, the credit, not the credits, but as the titles are getting ready to uh, reveal themselves, the title of the film, the soundtrack is very tender. And I, and, I, and I just watched this film this afternoon before I taped this. And I was really struck by how tender the soundtrack is in the very beginning. And the whole soundtrack of the whole film, all the way through the entire film to the very end, uh, is a beautiful, beautiful, tender soundtrack. And that word tender to me really gra- it really encapsulates the film itself. The focus of the beginning of the film is um, the character of Zach. We don't know who Zach is yet. We don't know the name Zach. We don't know anything. All we know is that the actress Kate Jackson, and the actor Harry Hamlin are talking. Uh, they're in they're have they have a white screen behind them. And they are talking to someone. They're speaking directly to the audience. However, they're not speaking to the audience. They're speaking to either a therapist or um, an interviewer or something. Nobody's characters have been revealed yet. And then they jump right into the plot. The plot is, is that Zach and Claire, Zach played by Michael Antkeen and Claire, played by Kate Jackson, are shopping for a house. They're a young couple. They're uh, just about 30 years old. Uh, he is an oncologist. She is a TV film, a TV pro- uh, executive producer um, working for a television network, and they are shopping for a house. And we haven't yet met Harry Hamlin's character of Bart. However, we do see Harry Hamlin in the beginning before we actually know who he is. So all three of them are sort of established at this point. Um, I do want to make a comment at this point about how wonderful this film was for me. I saw this film in my early 20s. Uh, yes, my early 20s. Um, and I have a funny story. It's it's kind of uh, typical of, of big mouth activist me back then. But I have a funny story that I'll tell uh, at at the point where it's it, where where I get to that point in the in the film and this happens, I'll tell the story. But um, these three people were very important um, actors back in the day. So obviously, Kate Jackson, for those of you who are old enough to remember or have seen on repeats, was Sabrina in Charlie's Angels. She also went on to have a really good television film career. Um, she uh, she had a second television show called Scarecrow and Mrs. King, which was very popular. So she was big. Michael Antkeen uh, starred, ironically, uh, starred with Kate Jackson in a TV show before Charlie's Angels called The Rookies. And Kate was a nurse. Michael Antkeen was a cop. And Kate and Michael um, were not married in that TV show. But 
Michael's partner was married to Kate. So Kate was a, a wife of one of the three uh, cops in that show. Harry Hamlin had gotten a lot of buzz because he had starred in Clash of the Titans. He wore very little in that film. He had an incredibly ripped body. Um, and he was really seen as like a, a burgeoning action uh, fantasy, uh, you know, somebody like, um, definitely like a Tom Cruise or something like that. He was really burgeoning on that with his career. So the three of them are starring in this. Also, secondary character, the actress Wendy Hiller is in this movie as Winnie. Uh, she is a lovely character that sort of grounds um, Zach and Claire. She is an elderly woman that has had um, a past in either theater or uh, literature. We're not really sure exactly what, but she uh, she's always has this beautiful presence about her, and she is um, sort of the older um, the older person in the film that the two of them really appreciate. As the film gets on, you realize that both of these characters have had issues with their own biological parents, and so Winnie is sort of like an idealized version of what they would love to have as a parent. So, um, so Zach and Claire, they purchase a house and the house is overpriced, but they buy it anyway. It's a really beautiful house, actually. Even 40 years later, I was like, damn, <laughs> like, that's their first house. All right. So they buy the house. They make love. It's the first time you see any sort of sex in the film, but it's very, very, all of the sex in the film is very tasteful. There's nothing vulgar or you know, um, animalistic about anything. Um, it's all very, very, as I mentioned earlier, it's really tender. Um, so it looks like Zach and Claire have a really good, solid relationship. Um, they're buying a house together. Uh, he goes and plays basketball, um, you know, and they're obviously, they're setting this up to show that when the schism does come in their relationship, like, it's to, to say that these two people are just sort of ordinary people um, that got caught up or that get caught up in uh, sort of an, uh, not an ordinary situation for most straight married couples. So Zach seems to uh, act out when he gets stressed. Um, and so you see him having a really bad day at work. Uh, he has to give um, bad news to a, pa to a client uh, to a to a patient, excuse me, and um, and so he goes and he sort of cruises, uh, and you're like, okay, um, and uh, but he doesn't give in to his desires and he just goes home, and so he and Claire end up making love again, and then they watch an old movie together, and it's interesting because they are seeing uh, this old film, I think it's Roman Holiday, it's with Cary Grant. They memorize, they've watched it so much that they've memorized the the uh, the lines in it. So they're speaking the lines as the actors are speaking the lines. It's very sweet. And anybody that's ever had romantic desires about watching classic movies with the love of their life, it's like kind of a perfect scene. And then Bart gets introduced. Bart, Bart is the Harry Hamlin character. So Bart gets introduced. He's very seductive. He's very sexy. Um, he has a uh, voiceover portion of the of, of the scene that he's in where he talks about the greatest love of his life with this woman from high school and he's never really gotten over that or ever met anyone since then that has been able to take her place um, he works out a lot he goes to a gay bar at night he's a he's a writer by the way uh, he's a fiction writer um, so he works out, he goes to a gay bar, he's very popular at the gay bar, he talks to all these people, everybody kind of wants a piece of him, he picks up a younger guy, um, 
and when I say younger, it's like Bart's probably 32 and this guy's probably 25 or something. So it's not that big of an age difference. But I guess you might say that Bart is the more seasoned uh, person in the um, in the pickup and the other guy uh, is uh, sort of a newbie. He's also shown as being really vain and narcissistic. And he's also a loner. So... Um, Keep in mind that this is 1982, so there are some stereotypes in this movie, um, but I think that they work very well. I think there's nothing wrong with showing uh, a writer um, uh, as being a loner or showing them as being vain and narcissistic. Um, there are obviously not every writer is that way, but there's nothing wrong with that. Also, sort of the stereotypes of him not really wanting a relationship and just going out and picking up guys at bars. Keep in mind that this is pre-AIDS. It was filmed in 1981. So we're still dealing with the fact that most gay men in this country and in major cities around the world were enjoying the sort of post-Stonewall sexual revolution that had happened in the LGBTQ community. So then the pace picks up and... Um, Zach is found sort of parked across the street from a gay bar in the middle of the day, which is kind of crazy, but I guess it's to show that he is not really thinking that straight because if he was, uh, no pun intended, if he was, obviously he would be doing this late at night, but he's doing it in the middle of the day. He's away from work a lot. He's starting to be away from work a lot. Again, like I said, the pace is sort of picking up here because they really want to get to the meat of the matter, which is um, Zach actually making that leap from just thinking about possibly being with a man to actually being with a man. So he's working, he's out of work a lot. Um, I mean, he doesn't lose his job or anything. He's just away from the office quite a bit. Claire is starting to worry. Um, Bart goes out and cruises more. Zach, Zach ends up going to a gay bar on his own. Uh, it's a sort of a very traditional leather Levi bar, which is what they were called back in those days. Um, there's really nobody in the bar that I can remember that's actually in full leather or even partial leather. It's really just a bunch of guys in flannel shirts and jeans. And uh, everybody is really regular looking. The way that they cast the extras and the way that they sort of cast the scene, I thought was really reflective of the times but also respectful as well and hopefully that maybe has something to do with the screenwriter Barry Sandler I have probably not though it's probably some other lucky gay guy was actually uh, able to give some direction on this maybe the art director or um, or the set director or something like that Um, so he's uh, uh, Zach is fine he's not freaked out and then there's a moment where you see two guys kissing in the bar and they're in the background, but they're very clear. They're not out of focus or anything. So that's the first moment that you actually see two guys kissing. It's in the background. It's away from where uh, Zach is sitting, but they're there and there's no, no, they're not trying to cover it up or anything like that. Uh, And then after that, more plot, more plot, more plot. Finally, uh, Zach calls Bart and asks him out to dinner Zach is really seen as the aggressor, and I don't mean that like in a really creepy way. I just mean like um, Bart is not the one as the single guy going after Zach. Zach, who's the married man, is really going after Bart. He's really pursuing Bart. So they they go out to dinner, and then they end up at Bart's, and um, there's all this sort of innuendo conversation going on. It's very sweet. Um, I, I feel like we all, any of those of us that came out of the closet at some point um, and are from the LGBT community know that there's always these moments when you're not quite ready to talk about it, but you're like three minutes away from talking about it. Um, So there's this 
all this sort of like innuendo. And then all of a sudden they kiss. And the kiss at first, it's on a staircase, it's on a it's on stairs, and it's shot from a distance. Um, and you can't even see their lips touching you, but you do see their heads together. It's a full body shot, full, full, you know, full body shot. And it, it's a kiss. There's no getting around. It's absolutely a kiss. So here's where I'll tell you my college story, which is really funny. And also we'll definitely, if you don't know me at this point, we'll definitely tell you a little bit more about how I've operated over the course of my life and how angry I was, uh, and uh, militant I was uh, for a long time and probably still am. I just don't show it that much. So I saw this movie in college at Penn State, State College, Pennsylvania, 1982, my senior year in college. I was chomping at the bit, foaming at the mouth to see this movie. I couldn't wait to see this movie. The idea of Harry Hamlin and Michael Ontkeen playing gay lovers like made my head explode. I mean, this was unbelievable. It was, and I didn't know anything about Stonewall. I knew nothing about gay history at this point. So I didn't realize that this was 13 years after Stonewall. All I knew that was in my world at that moment as a young gay man, openly gay man, and all of my friends in college who were the same way, this was like a movie milestone for us. So a bunch of us went, got together. We went to the movies. I can't, I don't remember a lot of people being in the theater, but there were a bunch of girls sitting behind us and they weren't lesbians and they were fine. Nothing was going on. And then as, as soon as the first kiss happened, and like I said, the first kiss is actually very tame. There's nothing really, when you see it, you're like, Oh, good God. It's like, cause it's, you know, it's, it's shot halfway across the room. They're, they're uh, facing each. They're facing each other, but the way that the camera is is on them, you can't even really see their lips. As I said earlier, but it is a to- It's a kiss. And so when we got to that point in the film, in the theater, we're watching the movie. These girls behind us started going ew, ew. Well, little old me whipped my head around and said, "Listen, <laughs> I have waited twenty two years to watch this movie and I am not going to have the three of you ruin it. So you have two choices. You can either shut up for the rest of this movie and watch this film in a respectful way, or you can leave now and get your money back. Those are your choices. You have no other choice. And I turned around and of course they were shut up for the rest of the movie. But that's what we were facing back then. I mean, it was like people were really grossed out. And you know, I have to tell you that even even today, it's still, you know, we're still going through that. We went through that with the film Bros earlier this year, earlier last year, I should say, in 2022, um, being released as the first big Hollywood, big studio rom-com in 2022. I mean, give me a break. And it was all about like, you know, can can straight guys sit through a film where gay guys are having sex? And it's like, oh my God, this isn't a porn film for God's sakes. It's a Hollywood film. They're not really having sex. And like, and it's a rom-com. So it's the sex is always going to be dopey and stupid. So anyway, um, so I, uh, I persevered and uh, had my moment. And then of course, the great thing about it is later on in this scene, um, 
there is, uh, they walk to the bedroom. When they get to the bedroom, there's a lot of shadowing going on. There's sort of this crisscross thing going on in their bodies. It's very beautiful. It's very sensual. It's very tender. It's very sexy. They take each other's shirts off. And then in close up, there is a big kiss scene at this point. So this is really the one that so, sort of just knocked our socks off, took the wind out of our, um, you know, out of our, out of our chests, and just we were just like swooning over this. I mean, swooning. I mean, and to tell you the truth, I look at these two guys today, um, forty years later, and I think these guys are hot. Like, there's no like if this movie got released today, it would be like, oh my god, these two actors. I mean, if they were you know in their twenties back here in 2023, it would be the same reaction because these men are really attractive and really handsome. It was a remarkable moment. The sex scene that came out came afterwards. I wouldn't even call it R rated. I would really call it PG thirteen related. Rated. It was uh, very sweet and very like just nobody was completely naked. The legs were entwined, and that was it. I mean, nobody was simulating any sex acts or anything like that. Um, afterwards, Zach is very affectionate. Bart, of course, pulls away. Then they spend a weekend together. And at this point, I probably need to talk about a few things that are, because I think that's where I'm going to stop, is that they spend a weekend together and then who knows what else happens. You know, what, you know, does Zach tell Claire? Does Claire stay with Zach if that happens? Does, is Bart, uh, does he get over his need to be a loner? I mean, there's all these questions between the three of them. Um, and I don't want to ruin any of that for any of you that have not seen the movie ever, because I think it's really worth watching. So a couple of bigger picture comments right now, um, and then we'll talk about sort of the, the the fallout after that. So yes, the all three of them are very white. They're very handsome. They're very beautiful. Uh, the men are very masculine. So is it sort of pigeonholed into, um, you know, not having people of color and not having non-binary and feminine men? Of course it is. But is it still revolutionary? Absolutely. Absolutely revolutionary. So I say this a lot when I talk to people about the American version of Queer as Folk. You know, there's been so much... Um, you know, sort of conversation and dismissal over like it was too white, it was too male, it was too uh, pretty boys, on and on and on. But the thing about the way the world moves forward, and in particular, the way that film and television moves forward is that somebody in the main culture and the dominant culture does something, which then opens up the door for somebody else to do something, which then opens up the door for somebody else to do something. So for instance, Queer as Folk, made the way for Noah's Ark, which then, you know, years later made the way for, say, Pose. Um, so each of those sort of are, you know, they're on the shoulders of the previous um, projects. Same thing with Making Love. I think this movie is fantastic, and I think that there is a huge audience for films like this, just really beautiful love stories. I wouldn't call this film a drama. I would actually call this film a melodrama. I think that um, the director, Arthur Hill, uh, Arthur Hill, is it? Yeah, Arthur Hill, sorry. The director, Arthur Hill, and uh, screenwriter, Barry Sandler, both 
came at this very much from like sort of an ode to the old Douglas Sirk movies from the 1950s. Just very, um, you know, full of like swept up music, really beautiful shots, um, lovely interiors, beautiful people um, in drama that would be sort of like, you know, at the end of the movie, things would just be sort of cleared up. Um, so I have to tell you that I cried at the end of the movie in two specific places. Um, and I wasn't expecting that at all because as I'm not, I'm sure I'm not giving anything away about the podcast here, but when I watch movies, uh, when I watch movies to specifically to talk about on the podcast, I sit and I take notes on my phone throughout the whole movie. So I'm a bit disengaged with the film as far as like being swept up in the film. It's more about like, okay, this happened here and this happened there. And let me take notes about that. But I literally, um, after I realized, Oh, this is so Douglas Sirk. And then like the tears just came and they came twice. Um, and then at the end, when the credits roll, they play this amazing song by Roberta Flack. It's the title of the movie. It's called Making Love. It's by Roberta Flack. And I want to just say two things about sort of the um, the synergy of this moment today with Roberta Flack and this song Making Love. So there's a fabulous, fabulous documentary currently airing on PBS about Roberta Flack. If you have not seen that, you should really... Um, save that and make sure that you watch that. It's fantastic. And the song was written by Burt Bacharach. He was one of three people that wrote the song. And we lost back Burt Bacharach this week, I believe at the ripe old age of 94. I think he was, I think he had made it to 94. So he wrote this with Bruce Roberts and Carol Bayer Sager. Um, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous, tender song. Once again, that whole feeling that air of tenderness just follows you through this whole film um and just lovely the the you know all three of them just really gave their heart and soul to this movie um you can see it in their performances you can feel it in the emotion um it just i i i'm so happy this film was made i'm so happy that we took this deep breath through the absolute horror and devastation of the AIDS movement came through all of that. I'm sorry, the AIDS crisis came through all of that. Uh, There was a movement during the crisis. Um, And on the other side of that, we can now start to look at some of these films from this time period and go, wow, holy shit. These were just incredible. Uh, You know, I just realized that I did not, before I talk about uh, sort of the reaction I have a great little list that I want to share with you. So these are not all the queer films that were released in 82, but these are eight of the queer films that were released in in 1982. Every, uh, I won't say every one of these films is worth watching, but they're interesting for what they sort of bring to the table. So the first one is Robert Altman's Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, Um, Ed Grasick was the screenwriter and playwright. It was based on a play and it starred Sandy Dennis, Cher, Kathy Bates, and Karen Black. Uh, This is a phenomenal film. It's one of my favorite Altman films. When I looked up other films from 82 that have queer elements to it, I could not believe that this was actually made in 82 because I literally own this film just like I own Making Love on disc and just love it. Next is Death Trap by Sidney Lumet. Uh, Ira Levin was the screenwriter and the playwright, and it starred Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve. 
there's a really interesting story we talked earlier about like how the public views gay male sexuality and intimacy between men in film and television. Um, if you want to learn more about that, definitely just sort of Google Death Trap and they'll talk a lot about that. Al Moldovar's second film, Labyrinth of Passion, was released, um, which was kind of a spoof and a parody on um, all kinds of buffoonery about life and uh, and. The, and I, ironically, the gay character in this ends up like falling in love with a woman and having and and being cured from being gay. But Al Moldovar was not at all serious about that. It's just that if you read the synopsis of this film, you're going to be like, what? But it was all like a, a spoof and, and, and just he was making fun of the popular culture of Spain um, back in 82. Partners was also released, which was a James Burroughs film. James Burroughs, among other things, created the television series Cheers, and this starred Ryan O'Neill and John Hurt. Uh, This film was pretty hideous. Uh, It's full of stereotypes and horrible stereotypes about queer people um, and uh, has been just sort of uh, lambasted over the years. So this is not a film that uh, stood the test of time and that it was that that time was kind to at all. As I mentioned in the beginning, Carell uh, Fossbender's film starring Brad Davis based on the Jean Genet novel Carell of Brest uh, was also created in 1982. I am from the camp that I feel like this film did not stand the test of time. I watched it in the last five years and thought it was just okay. Um, so Fassbender took a lot of chances with this film, um, and uh, it's going to be up to you whether you think that they were paid that was paid off or not. Uh, Sidney Pollack did Tootsie in 1982, which was with Dustin Hoffman and Jessica Lange and Terry Garr. So you know, sort of a buffoonery, uh, you know, rom com about a guy that dresses up in drag, but again, part of the LGBTQ, um, you know, umbrella. And then one of my favorite films of all time, Victor Victoria by Blake Edwards. It was a remake of a 1933 film by the same title, starring Julie Andrews, the incomparable Robert Preston, James Garner, uh, the absolutely insanely beautiful and fantastic Leslie Ann Warren, Alex Karras, and John Rhys-Davies. So, uh, and then finally, excuse me, finally, The World According to Garp, which was based on the John Irving novel, starring Robin Williams, Mary Beth Hurt, Glenn Close, and John Lithgow, um, that has uh, trans elements in it as well. So, um, or trans, I should say a trans character. Um, So, you know, for better or worse, there was a lot of queer film happening in 82. Um, And so I think that, you know, making love is really right there at the top of the list with personal best. I think personal best was, uh, um, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't include that in the list. Excuse me. That should have been in the list. That's, uh, that I would say that making love and personal best are the two really important films along with Victor Victoria, uh, from that year in my mind, at least. And then I will, uh, sort of close this out by talking a little bit about the fallout um, for the three actors. So let me start with Kate Jackson um, because hers is sort of a shorter sort of a conversation. Um, I couldn't find anything specific about her interviewing, about her experience in this film. I think as the straight white woman in this film, um, herself and her character being straight white female, I don't think that there was a lot of microscope 
um, focus on her. However, I will say that she was on The Tonight Show when this film got released and was doing you know, the press junket for the, for the film Making Love went on The Tonight Show. And when the audience realized what the movie was about, when it was explained to them, they booed her. Booed her. So there's that. Um, Michael Ontkeen and Harry Hamlin both have talked about um, how this really affected their careers. Harry Hamlin, as I mentioned earlier, was really on the precipice of becoming a big action star. He had the body for it. He had the looks for it. He had the voice for it. And he had the acting chops for it. He's a really great actor. And it just never happened. After Making Love, he got zero offers for any films. Now, um, I do have... I do have a I do have a quote from him, which I think is um, is really good. This is from Entertainment Tonight. Um, he and he talks specifically about how Making Love really ended his film career. But this is what he says, which I think is just absolutely lovely. Regardless of the initial reception, Hamlin is well aware that he went on to have a great career and still does. Hamlin, noting the tectonic shift in LGBTQ stories since then, added. I'm very proud of having done that movie. People come up and thank me for making the film and say they were affected by it and that it helped them come out or it helped them talk to their parents about their sexuality. Hamlin said, very rarely does one have an opportunity to have that kind of effect out there in the zeitgeist. And as most of us know, um, Hamlin went on to star in L.A. Law and just... um, you know, he just really had a great, great career with L.A. Law. He was in Mad Men uh, a little bit more recently. Um, and he's also married to Lisa uh, Renna, who is um, part of the Housewives franchise as well. So he's had a great, great life. Um, I did find a really interesting, uh, very short YouTube clip with Michael Ontkeen from 1998, where he talks about how he first turned down the role, as so many people did. I guess I should mention that a mountain of actors turned down the role. A mountain of agents refused to even have their actors consider having this role. So Michael Ontkeen in this, uh, it's just a minute and a half interview, he talks about how he initially turned down the role. And then the more he thought about it, the more he said to himself, how am I going to live with myself if I believe in equality for people? I'm an actor playing a role. How can I possibly not take this role on? Because it's going to be, he just had this feeling that it was going to be an important film. And it turns out that he's right. So I really love the fact that both of these actors um, got to a point in their careers and in the world at large that they were able to talk about the hypocrisy and the bullshit that went on um, with being cast in this film and then missing out on opportunities, but how, you know, your life really works out. Okay. You know, Aunt Keen ended up years later starring in Twin Peaks um, and we all loved him in that role. And that probably, I think that may have even eclipsed everything else he did. So post post making love you know, Ankeen really um, had a great career, sort of you know mid midlife, mid middle age career with uh, with Twin Peaks and some other things, and then um, Hamlin very you know after Making Love was eighty two, and then L A Law I believe started in eighty four, eighty four maybe eighty five at the latest. So it's all just really interesting um, because life just sort of leads you to where you need to go, um, and. Uh, and that's it. So I, w- I would love to hear how, what you think about this film. 
If you haven't seen this film yet, um, I welcome you to it. I will, in the show notes, um, I will put um, some information about some of the articles that I read and also some of the YouTube that I watch, like the Michael Ontkeen YouTube, and I will also um, list any sort of streaming options for this film. I own it on disc, so I was able to watch it on disc, but uh, I'm sure that it's available uh, streaming on different platforms. So that's it for this month. I am so happy that you joined me. Um, I hope that I was exuberant enough during this to show you how much I love this film. I love Making Love from 1982. I think it's such a landmark film. There's so many films from this time period we could talk about. We could talk about Personal Best, which is which is right up there with Making Love. We could talk about Victor Victoria. We could talk about Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. There's just so many films from this from this year that really sort of burst through. And then, of course, AIDS crashed in and sort of re, uh, reimagined uh, the way that LGBT people were represented. Um, and they were being represented either as victims or as caretakers. They, the love stories were really suppressed for a long time until we got through the worst of the AIDS crisis. But, um, but it, we did. We got through it, and the 90s came around. And even before the medication came around in the late 90s, most of the decade of the 90s was full of new, new queer cinema, which really was uh, the harbinger for all things uh, better in Hollywood because the independent films sort of forced the Hollywood films to, at the very least, stop producing uh, horrible characterizations of LGBTQ people. Not 100%, but you know, I think it really helped to change things a lot to get us to where we are today, where, uh, you know, where films like Bros are being uh, produced ma- for mass audiences. And of course, the streaming services are producing amazing LGBTQ content, as we all know. So thank you so much for joining me this month again. I will say that uh, I'll just give a teaser for next month. I'm not going to say exactly what it is because I love these intro teasers that I've started doing. I hope you love them too. It's so much fun writing them um, and trying to figure out ways of uh, uh, making everybody think before we actually get into the bulk of the podcast. So uh, all I will say is that next month I'm going to focus on a classic Hollywood filmmaker uh, from the 20th century and a couple of films that are uh, queerly delicious. So that's what we'll have for next month. Um, My name's Philip R. Uh, This is Real Charlie Speaks. It's a podcast and it is a spinoff from the blog Real Charlie. On both the podcast and the blog, I talk about uh, film and television from a gay male perspective. So I'm Philip R., Thank you so much for joining me. Have a lovely, lovely rest of the month, and I will see you next month. In the meantime, please take care of each other and uh, send the world a lot of love. Bye-bye.